Under the Dome Radio, a full fan feedback discussion for Season 2, Episode 6, In the Dark, recorded August 7th, 2014. Thanks again for joining us Under the Dome in Chester's Mill on Under the Dome Radio. It's the unofficial podcast and blog by and for fans of Under the Dome on CBS TV. And this is episode 35, and we've got show notes with uh, links and stuff and uh, promotional materials. Whatever you need to find, just go to underthedomeradio.com slash 35. And we still want your feedback always. Every single week, you can go to underthedomeradio.com slash feedback to leave your feedback. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network and is sponsored by the affiliate links over at Under the Dome radio.com you can pre-order season two of under the dome on blu-ray and dvd and a lot of other good stuff glad to be with you i'm at wayne henderson no not that wayne henderson not the uh kind of jazzy guitarist guy i am your voice acting podcasting green bay packers fan wayne henderson and i'm at troy heinrichs as we kind of get a little mysterious and a little bit darker because i guess that's all you can do when we go deeper in the dark. Glad to be with you again this week as we discuss kind of a split decision episode, Wayne, as I think you're on the lower side like I was last week and I'm on the higher side this week. We'll see as we go through things, but no matter what side we're on, we are going to have some fun. Right. And we're going to do that kicking off with our breaking news segment, as always, this evening, where we talk about ratings and things that might be coming up in and around Chester's Mill. And then, of course, we go on the air where we talk about the interesting points of In the Dark. And then, of course, on location to talk to all of you, the fans, to get your theories as to what might have happened to Sam. And then our investigative reporting, where we get a little spoilery and find out what is happening around the future of this great or not so great television show, depending on who you talk to. And then, of course, requests and dedication where we tell you about how you can help out the podcast and get the word out about the things happening here under the locker. I mean, under the dome. (laughs) We're under, under, under. That is for sure. Let's go ahead and fire it right off, Troy. What is the latest in the breaking news segment? Well, the breaking news will keep the rating short. Uh, Things are on an upswing, which is interesting since we're going deeper down under the dome. But uh, 1.6 in that coveted 18 to 49 with about 6.76 million viewers. So things are on the upswing, which is good. Uh, it did actually, quote unquote, win, depending on how you look at the uh, 10 o'clock hour. So I, I guess we'll have to see how things play out over the next couple of weeks as some interesting changes are coming to the show and maybe some new atmosphere as well. Atmosphere as far as what they might be breathing. Under the dome, what other storm they can cook up with, you know, depending on, you know, what are we at now? Boils, frogs, plagues. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out back from uh, Lyle's summation of what's happening. You know, which plague in Exodus have we not covered yet? I'm going to stay tuned because I'm anxious to find out. Well, in other news, we wanted to just kind of get this out there for those of you that may skip at the end because we have that spoilery section. And just wanted to remind you that there's all kinds of ways you can help out the Under the Dome radio podcast. Of course, reviews in iTunes are the best way you can do that. A five-star review with an actual write-up is super, super great, regardless of what country you're in. So whether you're in Turkey or 
in South Africa or Norway or the Philippines, like some of our other friends around here in Chester's Mill. We want to just make sure that you have a chance to get over to iTunes, leave that five-star review. We made it real simple for you under the dome radio.com slash iTunes, and then go ahead and leave that review because that helps out the show. Absolutely. You can also subscribe to the show because if you, you know, come and listen on the website at under the dome radio.com or any other method that you're listening, a great way you can make sure you don't miss any episodes of under the dome radio is to subscribe either in iTunes, the iOS podcasts app, downcasts, any of those things. It's totally free to subscribe. And that way, if maybe during the off season, if we put out an episode of the podcast, you'll get it automatically. And if you listen on, say, Stitcher Radio, if you add Under the Dome Radio to your favorites or one of your playlists, that'd be another great way to make sure you don't miss any episodes whenever they may come out. Yeah, they're adding all kinds of new things to cars and stuff these days, whether it's Stitcher or even iHeartRadio. You can find us on iHeartRadio as well. So just make sure you click that little heart button or, of course, follow or subscribe on Stitcher or, of course, subscribe in iTunes any way to keep yourself updated. And then of course, while you're at it, you can go ahead and pre-order season two on Blu-ray already. You can check that out at under the dome radio.com slash season two, because you want to relive this season. I know you do. And the bonus features and any inside information they might give us regarding Stephen King writing the uh, premiere of this season or any other involvement Mr. King has, I'm hoping there will be bonus features that uh, break it down for us. Yeah. That'd be great. If he has an actual interview on the bonus set, I'd be really looking forward to watching that. With that, let's go ahead and talk about what happened in the dark. Kind of an interesting title this week, but the first thing that comes to mind is man, it is a convenient rebar ladder that they climbed (laughs) down to start out this show. For a minute, I had to do a double take when I did my second watch to see if by some chance they were reusing what used to be the radio tower at the station that Big Jim burned down. But no, I don't think that's the radio tower from the station. I just think that's some convenient rebar, like you said. And then, of course, we pick up right where we left off with the Thanksgiving feast as Melanie sitting there looking all solemn and depressed and stuff. And of course, she's talking to Julia And Julia's like, oh, you're normal. And she's like, I'm not normal. I died. (laughs) There's nothing normal about me. You know, that is a good point. And it's hard to forget that particular part about her past. But at the same time, I thought it was a little flimsy the way that uh, Melanie just goes over, talks to Julia and says, can I tell you something? I I kissed Joe. And (laughs) I'm like, oh, my goodness. Why are they wasting our time with this? And of course, you know, we're looking for the egg. I lost it back in 88. Oh, coincidentally enough, Julia knows where the egg is, Troy. Yeah, it's in a methane filled lake. So let's just go ahead and float another boat out there and see if the bottom can melt off of it. Yeah, because once the uh, sandstorm died away, it was a nice, calm day out on the lake. Uh, Don't even get me started about the mist dispersal system that seems to clear out two radius miles inside of a dome. In two minutes flat, but (laughs) good stuff. At least they're being consistent, right? The uh, acid rain goes away just as quick as the dust. That's true. And I'm sure that Miss Pine's going to tell us science, science. And she might even mention something about science. It's not the dome. It's Darwin. (laughs) Still the best light of the season, I think. The bigger question I have is that Nori and Joe have this little spat 
And he's like, well, fine. I don't need to be here. The question is, is where the heck does he go? I mean, his house is completely destroyed. And then he lands up at some place in front of a fireplace that has like a memorial to Angie. And I'm sitting there scratching my head going, it doesn't look like Julia's house. Did Junior have his own place at one time? And this is Junior's pad. That's a great catch. No, I don't think Junior's ever had his own pad. And of course, the logical place that there would be a shrine to Angie would be Angie's house. But uh, that is perplexing. Whose house is this? I don't know. I thought it'd be Julia's house. I thought maybe Angie was with Julia. And then, of course, Angie was staying with Big Jim after the house was destroyed, along with Joe Nori and Nori's mom. So when they come in and they're coming that kind of, you know, side or front door into the fireplace area when they're looking for the four hands. And then it's like, OK, that's not Julia's house because Julia's house kind of has the entryway and it turns. So where the heck are they? And it, you can tell it's not Julia's house because there's not some strange man that she's known for less than two weeks uh, in standing in the living room. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> well, Big Jim, he wants to know about Julia. Is there a brain under all of that hair? That was a great oh line this week from, from Big Jim. I mean, because really, she comes out looking like she's like washed her hair all the time under the dome, especially in the middle of a dust storm. So how does she have such great looking hair just like Linda had when she came back as a ghost, right? So I thought it was a very fitting line that he's like, is there a brain under that hair? Totally calling it out. I thought it seemed really out of place. I mean, you know, at the end of last week's episode, Big Jim and Julia, they were, you know, kind of holding hands. There was a little kumbaya moment. And now, half hour later, it's all off. And then, of course, Big Jim is channeling his inner Rebecca Pine, where he's like kind of pontificating, saying, well, they don't really need a shrink under this dome. They need a leader. Remember, half this town is mine. And don't you forget it. I don't think we could ever forget it, Jim, because you remind us all the time every single week now, which I maybe they're still doing one episode equals one day under the dome. But there are constant reminders. The the town is at least half big gyms. Now, there's a little bit of that kind of questioning <laughs> that comes around with explosives. So let's talk about the first little teeny weeny flash bomb that goes off that mysteriously brings in the cave in. And compare that to the super duper awesome explosion that happens that is enough to rattle Barbie and Sam from almost a mile away. I mean, come on, really? That little eeny bitty explosion is going to cave in the place compared to the other one? That's a great point. But, you know, maybe Lyle, if he did set the trap and the little explosion to cause the cave in, if it is Lyle's doing... He might be some sort of genius that knows how to make a little explosion go a long way. Well, that's what it had to be, right? It's all engineering because Rebecca Pine lets us know that she didn't actually get an engineering degree as she's talking to Julia. And so it makes sense that if Lyle had some engineering skills, he could have strategically placed his charges to cause the cave in where Rebecca Pine is like, no, let's just blow this stuff up and get it out of here. <laughs> that when they lit the, uh, Little fire starting device to the fuse. Man, it sent out some sparks right away. That's a heck of a fuse. Well, and I like too how Sam and Barbie and Junior all are having this conversation about killing people. I mean, it, it just sounds like a fun thing to do, killing people. <laughs> because Sam and Junior are talking about it and he's like, well, have you killed anybody? And Sam's like, no, 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 I haven't. And Junior's like, well, I have. And let me tell you, I'd do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
that was so bizarre. And, you know, this part where they're talking about the killing and it's reminding us of the people that have been killed. That's the part that's closest to the novel this week, I think. Oh, absolutely. It's just there's a lot of killing. And then, of course, they have that basic same conversation later between Barbie and Sam. And he's like, yeah, I see Melanie's face in the dark. Have you ever killed anybody, Barbie? And Barbie's like, shoot, yeah, I've killed a lot of people. <laughs> I just hope that I don't have to kill anymore because I see me killing a lot more in the future if this dome doesn't come up. <laughs> and maybe even in this tunnel. Who knows? Uh, but we'll get back into the metaphors about the darkness in a little bit. So okay. Melanie tells Junior she thinks that Lyle killed her. And apparently James is still answering to Junior. Maybe it's just when his dad is involved that he's like, don't call me Junior. My name is James. I'm not sure yet. They, he could just be mellowing out and going by both. But I, I found it really interesting that Melanie thinks that Lyle killed her. But like we mentioned on a previous episode, when we saw that scene from Melanie's either flashback, you know, it did look like it might have been Lyle and Sam together pushing her. Yeah, who knows? Because then, of course, Sam is still throwing Lyle under the bus all the way up to the point where he pitches himself off the ship. You know, he's still like, yeah, Lyle killed her, man. Lyle pushed her in and I just let her rot in there like garbage. So maybe Lyle did do it single handedly. Who knows? But either way, Sam still let it happen. So Sam's still an accomplice. No doubt. I am watching his every move as he dives off into the green screen. I mean, the cave, the tunnel, the cliff to like you said on our initial reactions episode, there was no splat or poof. So there are lots of theories already going around about Mr. Sam Boudreau. Yeah, no smoke cloud when the coyote hits the bottom of the ravine, right? None of that either. Now on the rewatch, I didn't catch this the first time, but of course, as we have Melanie, we can now call her the cougar since she's technically really older than Junior and trying to mack on him. But as they're having that conversation inside of uh, Big Jim's house by the painting before Nori interrupts, Junior says, hey, can I tell you a secret? And we never hear what the secret is. So what do you think Junior was going to tell Melanie? I have no clue, but I, I also did not catch it until the rewatch. And I thought, well, that's awfully convenient that we don't get to hear the secret because Nori interrupted the uh, secret telling and make out session or whatever you want to call that nonsense. Uh, I would assume it is something to do with his mother that uh, maybe he was going to tell her, Hey, I've had visions of my mom. She's your, your buddy. My mom is uh, still alive. Pauline is in Zenith. And that's exactly what I was thinking too, because they were talking about Pauline and how, Melanie wishes, oh, I should have been here for her and I could have been stronger and a better friend if I'd only been alive. So it's a small detail. And so because of that, I think Junior was going to spill the beans that, hey, guess what? Pauline is alive in another town or time or space or wherever. We're all going on a field trip to try to track her down. Well, then, of course, we have this underground tunnel. Now, I, I, I smell Team Wayne and Team Troy coming on here. Meaning uh, a possible disagreement in theories? Or? Yes. So okay. what, what did you think happened? Did he go right and Barbie go left and then tunnels mysteriously mixed them up? Or do you think Sam actually doubled back? Well, although I would not be surprised that there's some magical mischief going on with the tunnels, I just think Sam doubled back and he's a liar. Okay. Then I guess there's no team Wayne, team Troy, because that was my theory. He, he had to have doubled back. 
And here's why. Because at the end of the episode, when the explosion goes off, Julia manages to get to the same place very quickly. So even though they have this concept of, oh, maybe the dome wanted to bring us here and we were supposed to be mixed up and brought back here. Then you're saying that Julia would have that same thing that the dome wanted Julia to also to get to Barbie as quickly as possible. Mm, that's a good point, Troy. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that something's going on with those tunnels, especially if you jump off a cliff and by some chance, if all the theories come to pass that maybe it leads to somewhere, nothing else would surprise me. But uh, Sam just seems like a shifty liar so far this season. Well, and then you have to come to the concept of, well, if the dome did want them to go there, then there's another way to think about it in that maybe the tunnels are kind of mysteriously mixing themselves up all on their own. And in the case of Julia, because she's the monarch and protecting and all that other stuff, that maybe it just made a beeline straight tunnel that was very short. If they go there, I'd like to see how it's going to play out. I would myself, if I was trapped underneath, say, the high school in these tunnels and they had a mind of their own, I would be freaking out. But see, that would be more Stephen King like, right? You're not knowing where the tunnel's going to lead or where it's going to go. And then, boom, you fall in this giant pit. Yep. There you go. End of the episode. Okay. So we both agree that Sam actually did double back. Yes. Because that's where that's where I'm landing after the rewatch. The first time through, I was like, well, maybe it's shifty tunnels. But no, Sam's shady enough that he would have doubled back. And the fact that they're giving us all of these clues that Barbie knows best and Barbie can tell when most anybody is lying. Since Barbie was suspicious of all of that, I think they're trying to make us uh, go that route that uh, Barbie's right. Sam's a liar. And now Sam is gone, at least for now. So let me ask you a question, Wayne, regarding this podcast. I think we finally come to the head as to what we're trying to do here with all the fans. Is death the only way out? <laughs> I don't even know if anybody's really even died yet. Uh, we, I mean, for example, speaking of death being the only way out, we got no resolution on our favorite DJ in town, Phil. I mean, is he dead? Or is he not? If he's not, then we should have gotten at least a scene about him convalescing and recuperating. And if he is dead, maybe a brief funeral for uh, DJ Phil would have been appropriate, but no word. No word at all. Or are we meant to do the podcast because the dome chose us for something? Oh, no doubt, Troy. No doubt. Dome says under the dome radio.com podcast on the air. And speaking of those crazy, fantastic forehand kids, don't you find it interesting that they literally are like, oh, yeah, yeah, Lyle's trying to kill us. Let's go find the egg and get away. No questions asked. I know. Not a second to even distrust what Sam's saying. It has to be Lyle. And he told Junior tells Nori and Nori passes it on. And everybody is totally on the let's kill Lyle before he kills us. <laughs> That's kind of strange. And and everything is out of the four hands now. Of course, when you get the egg home in front of the fireplace, there's not enough room for four hands. So we kind of just put our two of our fingers on there. But it's interesting how last season, you know, we were waiting for pink stars, waiting for pink stars. We finally got some pink stars on one episode. And now we're getting things like the pink stars almost every single week. I know. And the question is, is the egg glowing and glowing and throbbing and 
is something going to come out of this egg or what? You know, it's been two seasons. Let's go crack that thing open. Make some scrambled alien or something. That would be cool. I'm all for that. I need the answers. I have a feeling that egg is going to be impervious, but uh, let's give it a shot. Yeah, I need a little bit more protein in my diet anyway. So just to make it through these episodes each week. And for all you know, maybe the monarch is meant to basically, like a duck would, sit on the egg till it hatches. Maybe she's supposed to just stay at home on that egg and babysit it until something hatches that hopefully won't eat everybody in the town. Well, which monarch? Because Melanie was the original protector. So now is there going to be a cat fight over the protector status? Julia versus Melanie once Julia's done in the tunnels with Barbie. Hmm. We'll have to wait and see. I got more of the impression at least Melanie thinks that the uh, the egg was trying to kill her, I think she said. And then she said that Lyle killed her. We're, we're very confused. Melanie thinks everybody's out to kill her. And maybe she, like we talked about before, maybe she didn't even really die. She just thinks she did. Well, then going more on the serious side, there was a couple of great lines actually from Rebecca Pine and Julia's conversation this week where there was that whole con- uh, switcheroo where she's basically saying, Oh yeah, you don't trust me. And Julia's like, I forgave you. And then of course, Rebecca's like, that's not the same thing. So do you think forgiveness is the same thing as trust? No way. I, I think Julia, you know, she did the proper thing, forgave her so the town could move on. But uh, yeah, I, I would not trust her at all for at least a few more seasons. Well, I would definitely not trust anybody that's mixing up bombs because then later on, Julia says, how many different ways do you actually know to kill somebody? And Rebecca replies with, it all matters on how I apply it. That's when it counts. <laughs> so she's almost a little sadistic there. She's like, yeah, I could kill some more people if you want me to. Yeah. And I would not be surprised if it comes back around to that. I mean. First, she's mixing around eggs and flu viruses, and now she's mixing bombs. What next for a little friendly science teacher in town? And then she kind of closes off the conversation with the traditional science explanation, right? She says, we're here because we made our choices. You know, our choices were to take care of my dad when he got sick, and your choices were whatever they were in order for you to land your not-so-dream job of the paper here in Chester's Mill but we are absolutely not 100% not here because of fate. And that was a little roundabout way that she gave that speech and was still able to put in a dig to Julia Shumway about, you know, was this your dream to come to Chester's mill and be the newspaper reporter? And I love how they keep going with the science versus religion or science versus faith concept. Even now when things are just so clearly out of whack and all over the place in these last couple of episodes, because this is clearly a, a page out of loss. So count this for lost reference for the week about this whole, you know, fate isn't here. And then of course, Barbie's down in the tunnels going, well, maybe fate brought us to the edge of this abyss. Maybe they should stop questioning everything and just try to stay alive. Try not to kill each other and see if there's a way to find, you know, your way out from under the dome, whether that's where Lyle went or not. If there's a way, that's what they should be focusing on instead of always questioning everything. Just do it. Anybody got some Nikes there in town? And is the dome really a metaphor at the end of the day when this thing is all said and done? Is it the get out from under the dome of cloudiness over your life out of whatever you're holding back, whatever your 
not do, okay, no, we're just doing too philosophical. This show is just about having popcorn and having fun in the summer. Yeah. Let's not get too kumbaya on the meaning of the dome. Oh man. There's some it's just crazy, crazy stuff. Now, Sam and Barbie's dialogue, I, like I said, on the initial reactions, I thought was the best of the week to me anyway. And the one line that I really kind of glommed in on was that conversation when he's talking about uh, Barbie saying, well, how do you survive under the dome? And Barbie says, you look for what makes it worth going on. Now, of course, he references Julia's making that possible for him. But again, remember, they've only known each other for two weeks. And he, of course, he killed her husband to get into that spot. So we'll just kind of disregard that for right now. But uh, Sam says that Melanie haunts me and you killed a lot of people. And Sam asks the question of, will you actually see their faces on the other side? What did he mean by that? Did he mean like in death or did he mean like literally on the other side of whatever's at the bottom of this pit? I got the feeling that Sam was referencing seeing their faces on the other side of life in death. So at the bottom of the pit, is that the other side of life? Is it death, but not death as we know it? And not for you, gunslinger. Exactly. I like how you picked up on that. We've read a few hundred pages here and there. So is it the concept of there are other worlds than these from the Dark Tower coming into play here? Or is it truly a purgatory situation and we're back to lost references because it's trying to be lost yet it's completely missing the point on the character development and the reasons why we love Lost so much. I think it's too early to tell which way they're going to go, but I just, I just have a gut feeling that that cliff leads somehow to Zenith, whether it's on our plane of existence in an alternate universe, or it's just like a shortcut to get to Zenith when normally if there wasn't a dome there, it would take you, you know, days to drive there. I just think there's something going on that'll get you to Zenith in a hurry. It's a nice shortcut. But the egg was from outer space. It came from a meteor. Or do we think it was a meteor and it was just a, maybe a military based science project that they shot up into the air and came down like a weather balloon situation, in which case then the military base was closer to Zenith where Rebecca was riding her bike around. Maybe the answers have been there all along. But the thing that is still kind of perplexing is the fact that the egg showed the obelisk and the obelisk is in Zenith. So my, that's my crackpot theory is that maybe the meteor wasn't from space. Maybe it was a science experiment from the military that went wrong. I love that theory. And I had a similar idea, though not as well thought out as yours. But I did think that maybe they're going to throw a wrench in the whole thing because we're all assuming that the uh, meteorite with the egg in it came from outer space and basically they may throw a wrench and say, Nope, military. But uh, I like how you filled in all the gaps and links them. You make a lot more sense when you explain it than I do. <laughs> Must be all the Amblin entertainment television that I watch or the fact that I really watched a lot of Stephen King movies growing up as a kid. Put those two things together and you've got it, Troy. Uh, Super eight. Anybody are we pulling from super eight on that one? Anybody seen that movie? Love that movie. I just like Kyle Chandler. I have a crush on coach Taylor, I think. Oh yeah. Super eight. Just to sidetrack just briefly that movie, you know, it's almost based on my childhood, me, my brother and our two friends. We did have, well, it wasn't a super eight. It was just an eight millimeter camera, but we did go around 
trying to make our own science fiction movie with a bunch of uh, pieces of film when we were about 12 years old. And there was smoke and fire and wires and stuff. The real question is, is did you do that with your girlfriend and your friend from out of town? And did you push them into a hole and accidentally kill them during the making of your movie? No, everybody survived with only a couple of scratches and smoke inhalation. Well, let's kind of encapsulate where we're at right now, Wayne. It's <laughs> can we we're at the halfway point of this season, just about the halfway point because there's 13 episodes. So, you know, six and a half is really the halfway point. But look at that math on a podcast. Wow. How do you sum up the first half of season two? Over the top insanity. Uh, and, you know, we can't give full credit to Stephen King, even though he wrote the novel. But that first episode of the season was so fantastic and so dramatic and lots of people were raving about it. And in some ways, it's just gone off the rails trying to be too over the top, I feel. Well, I don't know what to think as we near the halfway point. Um, I like how you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast episode, Troy, that there could be some changes coming to the atmosphere. Uh, we'll see where that takes us. What, what do you think about this half of a season of Under the Dome? I mean, there were there was last week's episode, which I didn't jive with. And then, of course, the plane episode, which will probably be as close to that other episode that we can't talk about because that's rule number one. <laughs> that's right. I don't know if it's on the acting side. I don't know if it's on the writing side. I don't know if it's a combination of both. It just feels different than last year. And I don't know if that's because Neil's doing it on his own without Brian and Brian was kind of there, even though he was the writer, but they said that Brian helped lay out the entire series, uh, series two or season two already. Um, you know, I just, I just don't know last year it got a little off track, but then kind of recovered itself in the end this year. It's just, there's so much information that you forget that this is only six episodes in and you're going, what the heck are they going to show for the next seven? Because it's like, wow, so much information. My head's going to explode. Those are great observations. And I wanted to bring up something kind of ties into that because I've, you know, at family gatherings or whenever I bump into people, I try to find out, are you watching under the dome, under the dome radio.com. Listen to our podcast. We talk about it. What do you think about under the dome? And I'm not positive what's behind it. You know, the creative forces making the show personally, I think that they're writing it over the top and the lines are meant to be delivered over the top because there's some great actors on under the dome, but I don't think it's going over the way it's envisioned because almost say 80% of the people that I talked to and a lot of them watch season one, but I asked him, what'd you think about last night's episode? This was just earlier today. They said, wow, the acting was terrible. And then I was talking to somebody at a family gathering over the weekend and they said, nobody on that show can act very well, except for that hoarder lady. She's a good actress. And I tried to defend him saying, look, every, you know, you know, big Jim and the other actors, there's some good acting on here, but the lines they're given and the way they're expected to deliver them, it just go so over the top that I think people aren't, aren't picking up on that. And they just think that there's bad acting going on. I mean, at least three people have told me they think the acting's terrible, but I just think it's misdirected or something. What do you think, Troy? Well, I would agree. I think that actors 
all in all have a job to do, right? Their job is to deliver what they're told and bring out what the director is trying to get out of them. You know, television's a little bit different than a movie. There's different writers every week, different directors every week. So you're going to have that variability in the presentation from a, a week to week perspective. The variability in this second season so far has been so over the map that I have to start to wonder, is it really what we've been saying that the magnetism is truly done something to their brains and where we're seeing kind of the effects on the audience, it's really a character or a plot point that's really been facing us in the face the whole time. I would find that very hard to believe if they're expecting us to figure that out. But again, we're not supposed to figure it out because that's the whole lost mechanism, right? You're just supposed right. to go for the ride. And then when it's all done in the finale, you go, oh, I get it. Or that was the stupidest show. Why did I wait six years? <laughs> Depending on which side of the camp you were on. Uh, granted, we were on the, of course, we absolutely loved it and thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And the ending. And the ending was great, too. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just so torn this season because there's like. Every week I sit down on Monday night going, okay, am I going to really hate it this week or am I going to just absolutely love it this week? And am I, or am I going to really love to hate it this week? <laughs> you just have so many feelings about this show. And I just want to keep coming back every week to watch it to see what happens next. Yeah. And part of it, like you said, with it being a summertime series and get your popcorn ready. You know, you take that into account when you sit down to watch that or that other Amblin television show on Sunday nights, Falling Skies, you know, have your popcorn, enjoy the ride and see what happens. But, you know, there are some positive, like, for example, this week, Ben is back, albeit not for very long and not doing very well. The windmill, although implausible, did look cool. Andrea Grinnell, Grinnell I thought, had the best lines of the week. And the trailer for next week's episode looks cool. So we'll see. Yeah. What is Barbie going to do as he gets pulled into the pit, you know? And of course, if you've been keeping up on the spoilers, we'll let you know what might be happening a little bit later. So I think there's some great things coming. I think the question now is, is that, you know, is this kind of like the end of act one and now we're going to see an act two and it's going to be so different for the next five to six episodes, kind of like season one was where we set everything up and then boom, we have this whole farmer story situation with Ollie. And then we had the story with Maxine and then we had the final you know, thing with the mini dome. So maybe this is the next turning point of the season and we have to almost think of it as another season premiere next week. I'd like to look at it that way. It does kind of feel like the end of a chapter of some sort. So. We'll be back. That's for sure. Absolutely. Because we love talking about it, if nothing else, just oh, to absolutely. see how everybody feels. And speaking of feelings, ratings time. So I, I was a downer on last week. I did enjoy the dialogue between Sam and Barbie and Julia and Rebecca this week. So I had to give this one a little bit higher score. Um, so I went with six and a half out of 10 Tinker Toys with no assembly required. <laughs> that is kind of how that windmill looked. Wow. You went up from last week. I kind of thought the other thing, and I know you mentioned after you watch it a second time, Wayne, it, it might sink in some more stuff. Well, after watching in the dark twice, I now will say that I give it 4.5 out of 10 proud Prius product placements. Say that 10 times fast. 
And that's not really how you feel. That's the Richter scale reading from the explosion in the tunnel. Maybe that uh, Prius has a lot more power that they want to make sure that when you're not uh, using your Microsoft Surface tablet, you're driving around proudly in a Prius product placement. So 4.5 out of 10. I mean, not my favorite episode of Under the Dome yet, but they all can't be my favorite, right? Right. As long as you are different than me, then it gives us something to talk about, if nothing else. Absolutely. Well, now it's time to find out what the other people think that watch this show, the fan feedback section on location. Let's go ahead and go over to the listener voicemail line at 904-469-7469. I love Under the Dome. I think it's a great show. I think Stephen uh, King should direct more of them. But other than that, it's a really great show. I love it. love all the cast and characters, especially Barbie. Thank you so much for calling in. We didn't catch your name, but uh, she loves Barbie and feels that Stephen King should write more episodes of Under the Dome. That I agree with 100%. <laughs> He's a really busy man. I, I don't know if Stephen has the time or the interest to write more episodes of the television show. He's been churning out a lot of novels lately as well, but I do like the sentiment. Thank you so much for calling in with that. Yeah, he's going to have three books out in almost a year's time frame. How amazing is that? And none of them are probably thin books. No, no, not at all. <laughs> so Shelly actually wrote in, and I, I know we've probably mentioned this once before on the podcast, but in case we didn't, Shelly wanted to let everybody know that there was a new interview inside of the CBS watch magazine in this latest issue, which has uh, one Rochelle on the cover and uh, Jack Bender, of course, the executive producer and director of under the dome kind of revealed in that, that he is an accomplished artist, which you can also hear uh, via the interview he did with Sheila brothers. Uh, that's actually in the podcast feed before the season two episodes start. And what what really came out of that was that he's actually doing the paintings for Pauline. So the paintings we're seeing on the show are mostly done by Jack Bender himself. I know he's got quite a vivid imagination. Some of those paintings, especially the ones we saw in the finale for season one are really wild. Now the particular one that uh, was up on the wall when Sam threw the glass at and made it fall down, maybe not Jack Bender's best work, but it got the point across. I love it. And of course, we'll have a link to that article in our show notes at underthedomeradio.com slash 35. Hey, this is Jeff Gentry, X-Force 11, calling in before I listen to the initial reaction podcast with my theory. The uh, big whole chasm is a portal between the inside of the dome and somewhere outside the dome. Kind of like uh, I'm, I'm thinking of Thor, uh, the dark world where, you know, they, they could go between worlds at this one spot. So something like that where you can pass through uh, to another spot outside the dome, but not sure where that's going to be. But that's my theory. Uh, very cool episode, twisty, turny, and uh, just a good season overall. Looking forward to hearing y'all's theories. Bye. Jeff, thanks so much for calling in. 904-469-7469 is that listener voicemail. And to kind of tack on with that, Dalton actually wrote in as well and said that the cave is some kind of teleporter. Not sure where to, but I'm assuming it's to the other side of the dome. And I think from based on the newscast that we saw in the season premiere from Pauline's apartment, 
we have to assume that the dome is only over Chester's mill. So Zenith is not under its own dome. So in this case, the teleporter cave must actually get you out. The question is not only where, but when. Great questions. And I want answers. I mean, it kind of reminds me on lost how, if you go through that one uh, portal area near the frozen donkey wheel, you end up in Tunisia. So, and you kind of land pretty hard on your back there, but uh, so it could be the same thing. It could be different. We're going to have to wait and see. We also got an email from Martha to help clarify a few things that uh, I misspoke on on the previous episode. Uh, she says, in your podcast about reconciliation, you referred to the 2001 Space Odyssey monolith as an obelisk. An obelisk is defined as a stone pillar typically having a square or rectangular cross-section and a pyramidal top such as a monument or a landmark, such as the Washington Monument. The monolith has a rectangular shape without the pyramidal top. The measurements had to be the exact proportions of 1, 4, 9, which is the squares of the integers 1, 2, and 3. Thank you, Martha. Oh, Martha, thank you so much for... I did not get that far in math. That is some good stuff. And I apologize for calling the 2001 Space Odyssey monolith an obelisk. You're completely right. They, they called it a monolith throughout the movie. I just have obelisk on the mind ever since uh, Junior had that uh, vision of his mom. But that's actually a really great point to bring up because if you think about it in this case of like the perfect squares of those sides and the fact that math plays so much into this science concept and now we're talking about the obelisk, which has equal sides. Does the equality stand for something versus where the squares tend to stand for some kind of harmonic, you know, coming together of the universe, if you will? Or did they just think this looks really cool? Let's put it in the shot. Well, I did get confirmation from Sheila Brothers over there in sunny 104.5 Wilmington and the Wilmywood Daily Blog. And she said that the skyline in that season premiere episode was indeed the Wilmington downtown skyline, but the obelisk is actually CGI'd into the skyline. And then, of course, CGI'd again once they're shooting the shot outside of Pauline's apartment at the end of the episode, because I was getting a little nervous because it sure looked like it was part of the skyline as they were walking through. They did a really good job on the CG. So I'm glad that to know that there isn't really that obelisk in downtown Wilmington, because that'd be kind of creepy. It, it definitely looks like something that is from another time or another planet or something. It Somehow, if it was in that town, I would question the city planners that allowed that design to get approved. Hello, this is Nuff from Bowie calling into Under the Dome Radio for Under the Dome in the Dark. Sam and Junior find out that the locker leads to a basement under the school, which leads to a tunnel. Barbie catches up with him. Junior sees the journal on the ground. It's a trap! Junior hits a tripwire, and there's an explosion. Barbie saves Junior. Sam saves Barbie. Junior's on one side of the rubble. Barbie and Sam are on the other. They continue exploring. Barbie takes the high road. Sam takes the low road. They both get to the same part of the tunnel, much to Barbie's surprise. Barbie decides to quiz Sam about things on his mind. It's a great quote from Sam. About Melanie being brought back from the dead? You tell me how to start that conversation. 
Now, walking alone in a tunnel with a possible murderer is not the best place to ask him whether he killed someone. It's even worse to point out evidence about the deed, especially when you end up on the edge of an abyss. To our surprise, Sam saves Barbie from falling in. They throw a rock in, but they don't hear anything at all. Sam does give Barbie some history about Melanie's death. The egg started screaming. Pauline thought it was killing her. Lyle flips out, and Sam confirms Melanie's thought, stated earlier in the episode, that Lyle killed her. Sam decides to give Barbie the journal after being quizzed about Angie. He jumps into the abyss. He seems to vanish. Where does he go? Did Lyle also jump? Earlier in the episode, our four new hands go to the lake. They join hands. The egg glows. Must have risen into the water, in the water, as it appears they didn't get wet when retrieving it. Later on, they bring the egg back into town. They join hands, touching the egg, and we see the pink stars, and we also see an image of the zenith obelisk. So, does the abyss allow Sam? To leave the dome for Zenith? Did Lyle get, end up going there? Or did Lyle just leave his items in the tunnel and double back? Maybe we'll find out next time under the dome. Neil, thank you so much for using the speak pipe widget over on the website underthedomeradio.com and uh, bringing up some good thoughts on the whole obelisk. It, it kind of makes me wonder if maybe for the second part of this season, if it's going to be you know, for example, again, throwing out a lost reference because that's what we know. You know, we all thought they'll never do anything off the island. And then we get a whole bunch of a couple of seasons off the island. Are we going to maybe see like three or four, maybe even more of our characters all in Zenith? And a large portion of this show, even though it's called Under the Dome, is going to take place in Zenith. And again, is that Zenith 1988 or is that Zenith 2013? have to wait and see hmm. or or 1821 Nah, it's too far back i don't think that'll happen but the interesting thing that uh, neil did bring up though is that we have the kids and of course the fact that they didn't get wet or didn't seem to get wet and they didn't actually show the egg leave the lake so did the egg actually hover all the way up to their hands I got the impression that's what we're supposed to uh, buy into. But that's a good catch that they didn't get wet. Right. And the bigger question is, is <laughs> this is one of those crazy things of the episode, but didn't you feel like when they put their hands all there, they were like one, two, three, four. I was waiting for a go team four hands. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, but I, <laughs> it just looked really, really weird. Leaning over the side of the boat with everybody's hands there precariously balanced, just assuming out of some sort of faith that this is going to summon the egg up from the bottom of the methane filled lake. Well, we had some comments actually at under the dome radio.com slash 34, our initial reactions episode, Lucifer jr. Wrote in and said, uh, I actually thought Melanie was the hatchling from the egg as we all did, since that's what we were branding her at the beginning of the season. And now that they brought her back and the purple egg is with her, the story is bringing more questions and answers every episode. And I'm super excited how they are going to answer them or can they, or will they 
That said, I'm still excited about your theory that Zenith is not actually the same universe where Chester's mill is. Man, that is awesome. What if Pauline has already lived this life once before, somehow in a different dimension or in a different timeline, and in this timeline, she tries to correct everything she did before by warning people through the paintings or drawings. Am I even making sense? Or I just don't understand this whole messed up story like the rest of us. Anyway, thank you guys for such a great podcast. Go reach for Zenith. And you guys ever get tired of formulating those interesting theories? Don't answer that. It was rhetorical. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, hey, you know, our minds could go anywhere. We could think up everything. And who knows? Maybe on Under the Dome, it'll be something simply explained that Zenith is two towns over and there's an underground tunnel that can get you there without traffic. Right, because if it is Maine, they do have some pretty brutal winters. So maybe you just want to go ahead and have a, a shipping lane underground to kind of present, you know, protect yourself from the elements. Sure, why not? Well, Ann Sith wrote in and said, came straight here after watching the episode to listen to the initial reactions. It's become part of the show for me. Thank you for doing that. Some basic thoughts on the show this week, relationships, overly dramatic and unusual timelines moving at light speed in this drama. But hey, it's television. Relationship drama helps the viewer relate to the characters because we all have some kind of relationship drama at one point or another. Sam, he doesn't think that Sam died. Also wondering if maybe he killed Lyle and basically set everything up in the tunnels to begin with so that it actually made it look like Lyle escaped. Not sure I really think that, but it is a plausible idea. If Sam didn't kill Lyle and Lyle actually went to the cliff place in the tunnel, perhaps there was some kind of prearranged meeting with someone from the outside, maybe Zenith, to get him out of there. If so, why do people from Zenith or elsewhere outside not just rescue everyone? Is there a purpose to them being inside the dome? Good question. And I, I'm going to pause there for a minute because something just popped into my head. As Lucifer said, we just theorize all over the place. The panning of the camera at the end of the episode goes down into the hole, right? So if he's saying that, you know, Lyle was there and maybe they had a prearranged thing for people to get out. We didn't actually look up into the cave because it was just all pitch black. Is there a secret hole in the top at the zenith point of the cave that they could have choppered in somebody? Nothing would surprise me or maybe some sort of special painting that you can only see by black light. It's very true. <laughs> That's a good point too. <laughs> uh, I believe Zenith is just a nearby town in our universe. Nothing extraterrestrial about it though. Perhaps the monolith is some kind of alien thingy. Who knows? Surely Barbie will read the journal and share it with others. It's too important not to. Also, back in the previous episode, when Phil called Julia out for not checking the generator and knowing the wires were frayed, why did no one in the crowd say, hey, how did you know the wires were frayed, Phil? These townsfolk are so unobservant. A big Jim wouldn't have missed it. Not at all. Uh, the space egg thing is kind of weird. I had thought that the egg was consumed when Melanie came back to life. I was surprised to see it still around. And the favorite line was the one about who wanted Big Jim to shut up and just ride out the storm. I love Andrea Grinnell. Amen to that. Uh, and then Fonzie Happy Days also commented on the site, said, I haven't listened to the initial podcast yet, but I can't wait. 
They left us and they left us with a lot of unknowns this last episode. Anseth and Lucifer Jr. make very good theories. Where is Lyle? Who knows? And if he met someone in the tunnel like Sam, it could very well be possible. Take note that when Angie died, she followed Melanie to the school. Well, then Melanie ran off and Angie took her spot. I'm thinking that Melanie was to die instead of Angie. That's an interesting point. Maybe Sam was trying to re-kill his original killing and Angie was just a casualty of circumstance. She got in the way and it was dark and Sam missed. I hadn't thought of that before. I like that one. But then that would assume that Sam was originally planning on killing the original four hands. Oh, and then this ties into the comedy made at the end. This is a great theory. So he says to Barbie, it's like, I have to kill the four hands. And when it's done, then I'll kill myself or you can kill me. So which four hands are, are supposed to die? The original four or the new four? Or do all eight of them have to die? Well, I have a feeling that if, if Sam does come back into this area uh, under the dome in Chester's Mill, I would not be surprised if he would go and try to kill every single person that's ever been considered a hand or maybe even everybody that has a hand and the dome will still be there. Well, but I like that theory. I love that theory. That I think that settles it for me. I was really going between the three of these comments because they came on right away at the end of the episode, right for the initial reactions. And because of the way that the line Sam delivers at the end about wanting to die himself to either escape the dome or whatever, and maybe he was planning on killing Melanie and because it was dark, he mistook the two. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give Fonzie happy days, the under the dome honorary DJ of the week this week, because that is just a really interesting thing to make us think which four hands really do need to die. I don't know why I didn't even think of that either. That's why we have listener feedback episodes because it helps make a lot more sense for us. Well, that being said, we are going to go ahead and wrap up this section of on the air and move into the investigative reporting. This is the spoilery section or possible book tie-ins. And I think the book tie-ins are about done, Wayne. <laughs> There's just not much going on here other than big Jim, just being big Jim. No. And I was semi encouraged that they would be touching on some parts of the book when the air started getting so bad, but knowing that they cleaned it up in two minutes, which is totally not how it happened in the book, uh, kind of throws that out the window. But it is kind of a play off of the book and what happens in the end and the air being a little toxic and oxygen not being able to get in there. So they borrowed from that portion of the book to make this dust storm, I'm assuming. Right. Except for in, in the book, there's no wind, no storms. No water. <laughs> nothing. It's a giant it, magnifying glass baking you to death. And slow death for almost everybody in town. But on the spoiler front, really great stuff coming up in the next two episodes. We're actually going to introduce two new characters. And if you listen to our actual character episode before season two started, this is where we're going to start to meet Barbie's dad. And the question, of course, that everybody has is, are we going to see a younger Barbie talking to his dad or is Barbie going to get sucked into the hole and show up in Zenith and see his dad face to face in 2013? So how we're going to be introduced into Barbie's dad, I think, is going to be the interesting part of the next episode. And then, of course, that relationship continues on as one Lyle Chumley 
also makes an appearance. Dwight Yoakam is listed to come back again. And because of that, the question is, is, is it current Lyle or is it a different version of Lyle, maybe a little bit younger? Either way, I'll just be glad to see Lyle Chumley because uh, the the type of craziness that Dwight Yoakam portrays in that character really adds to the show. I'm going to really like that. And I would not be surprised if when we meet Barbie's dad, that he's in some sort of Zenith relationship with Pauline and it's going to just get messy. Well, that'll do it for this week. So we want to go ahead and just say thanks to all of you for subscribing to our show again over these past few seasons. But again, the fun is not over yet. Second half of season two is around the corner. So we need your help. Your mission again this week is to head over to under the dome radio.com slash iTunes. Leave that five-star review. You can even say thank you to one of the listeners in your written review that actually calls in and gives us these great theories and feedbacks. I'm sure they'd love to hear from all of you. Or of course, follow us on Twitter at UTD radio podcast, leave a note there and we'll be sure to tag any of the current listeners that are sending stuff in that you love their theories. And let's go ahead and build out this community as we finish out this ride this year. Oh, no doubt, because it's it's all starting to come together as far as the theories, the listeners' thoughts. And while you're there in either iTunes or even just on your phone in the iOS podcast app, you can write your written review right there within the app and uh, leave it. And like Troy said, shout out to some of the listeners that have left some of your favorite theories. That would be awesome as well. And of course, this podcast is made possible by you. So go ahead and keep shipping on those secret propane donations our way. Every little bit helps with the bandwidth costs, the website, keeping the voicemail line open. So our operators are paid to take all of those cool, crazy theories. So we want to make sure we get those donations in right away. Again, right on the right hand side of the website under the dome radio.com. Pick your size propane take and send it our way. And we promise not to connect any fuses to it like uh, Rebecca Pine keeps trying to do. Well, we all, of course, love connecting with all of you. So make sure you go ahead and use our social links right at the top of the page. Also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus. But most importantly, as Wayne mentioned at the top of the episode, subscribe, 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 whether it's Stitcher, iHeartRadio, iTunes, all the links are there. It makes it really easy for you because you do not want to miss an episode of the Under the Dome radio podcast because even when the season's over, there's still stuff coming out. And of course, if you have not checked it out yet, go right on over to underthedomeradio.com and there's the Comic-Con panel in full, all six parts right there. So you don't have to go to YouTube and surf and check it out. You got it all right there in a nice playlist for you. We make it very simple to get all the details about what's coming up for the rest of the season. And in closing, I want to thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to Under the Dome Radio. Troy and I greatly appreciate it. We know your time's valuable. And spending just some fun-filled hours listening to us talk back and forth and sharing theories, very much appreciated. We want to hear your voice on the next episode. Just go to underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all of the details, and we will be waiting to hear from you. But until then, I am Wayne Henderson. And I'm at Troy Heinrichs, anxiously awaiting all the fun that you guys have in store for what is up next as we stay trapped under the dome. Under the Dome Radio. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts 
to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Get organized in your personal and professional life. Laugh with our clean comedy, theorize over great television shows, and so much more. All waiting for you at noodle.mx.